This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. It's getting messy out there. Not a surprise. Predicted, in fact, by so many of us. We all knew that the Biden administration was going to run into trouble quickly because Biden is a clown and the Democrats are far left and they've lost their minds. So there's that. But, you know, we have Memorial Day coming up. It's a time when a lot of you be thinking about your uh, patriotism and the sacrifices of those who have given their lives for this country. And it's a particular time of year to show patriotism and love of country with a flag. I know I'm going to have not just an American flag hanging in my apartment, but also I'm going to be having an American flag out my window. And that's why I want you to know about Allegiance Flag Supply. Allegiance Flag Supply is the place that you should be getting your American flags from. They're all made here in the USA. In fact, the seamstresses who make flags, a lot of those jobs were getting sent overseas. All of the jobs behind the flags that you can buy from Allegiance are here in the USA. And this was a small business just started by a few friends who realized that a lot of the flags that were flying were getting tangled and mildewed, mildewed, torn and shredded after just a few months being up. Well, that's why, you know, I have a better flag, a better flag that will last longer and not get all tangled from Allegiance flag. I've got mine already hanging and it looks amazing. And it's a good way to show your patriotism going into the holiday weekend, going into every day. Go right now to showallegiance.com and you can use promo code buck for 10% off your order. That's showallegiance, A-L-L-E-G-I-A-N-C-E, showallegiance.com. Make sure you use promo code buck to get 10% off your order at showallegiance.com. You know, they're actually allowing the Biden White House. The journos are letting Biden's people vet and edit and change their quotes that came out today. And they're trying to say, oh, this has been the policy with previous administrations. Yeah. Do you think that the journos gave a crap what the Trump White House wanted changed or edited in quotes? Are we really all going to act like we're so dumb? We can't see what's going on right in front of our faces. I don't think so, friends. We know what's happening here. We got bumbling, stumbling Mr. Magoo Biden kind of in charge of the country, not really in charge of the country. We all know that he just takes orders from the puppeteers around him. And all it takes is a phone call from Barack Obama to get whatever radical left policy or decision that the apparatus of the Democrat Party wants. All he has to do is call Biden. Probably doesn't have to call Biden. Just sends a text message to one of the people that's making sure Biden has a nice cardigan sweater over his shoulders and a, and a sippy cup for when the cameras aren't around right that's all that's all that's required tell the people who are biden's handlers what he's got to say what he's got to sign nobody really thinks this guy has any convictions no one thinks biden has principles biden doesn't think he has principles he certainly doesn't have any leadership skills this guy is the consummate slimy politician He's been that for longer than I've been alive. We all know it. And now we are seeing the consequences. This is not just in rhetorical terms. Now we are seeing what is happening as a result of Biden policies and decision making. And and this is 
a shame, but it looks like we're going to have to suffer the consequences as a country. That's the only way more people will realize how stupid all of this is. Oh, you're also seeing you're also seeing an inflation. They were saying, oh, there's there's no inflation. OK, well, in April, consumer prices jumped up four point two percent, the most since 2008. Uh, that's a lot that hurts in an economy where we should be seeing an explosion of growth and hiring and prosperity and optimism. What are we seeing? A stall? A stall right now and rising inflation? Remember, with that comes higher prices for everything. And the dollars that you've worked so hard to save and put in your bank account, they're worth less. Right now, with with interest rates where they are, if you are saving money and you're doing everything the way you're supposed to, you're 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 working hard, you're playing the game in this economy the way that everyone tells you you're supposed to. At the end of the year, if you just put your money in a savings account, your money is worth less and it's going down every year at this current rate. It's going down every year. And that's substantial. I mean, if it's going down four percent, even if you had your money in the stock market, let's say you get an average return of you know, six or seven percent a year, which is pretty good, by the way. But if you're getting that cut in half and plus you have a a down year here or there, losing money, people losing faith in the system, there's going to be inflation. But, you know, you can you can listen to me or you can listen to the deeply unimpressive halfwit who is the White House press secretary, Jen Suckybaum, and she's telling you, you know, drawing upon her. Ph.D. in economics from Cambridge, which, of course, she does not have. Uh, Not that that would change my opinion of what she says anyway, that don't worry, any inflation, it'll just be a it'll be a quick, a little tiny bit of inflation. Play 11. Inflation numbers out tomorrow, and I'm wondering if the gas price surge and the continuous commodity surge, like lumber, is changing the administration's outlook on inflation. Well, let me first say that, of course, the Federal Reserve, I would point you to them to speak to or provide analysis or speculation on anything uh, as it relates to inflation or the impact of uh, certain external actions. I will say, as we've said in here before, but we'll reiterate that, of course, we take uh, the possibility of inflation quite seriously uh, as you know, actions that have been taken to date or proposals that have been made. Uh, most economic analysts have believed that it will have a temporary or transitory impact. Oh, oh, yeah. Most analysts, most economists. I I love how Democrats think they can cite this as if, you know, done deal. What does that even mean? Most economists. How transitory is it? Oh, you know, all inflation is transitory unless you have a total collapse of your currency. And you could even argue that's transitory because when your currency goes belly up, it ends. So there's no more inflation. It's just maddening to watch the way the media is defending everything about this Biden administration. There are multiple intersecting and expanding crises going on right now in America. Things that affect you. That's what I care the most about here on the show. What affects you and me? And when you're talking about rising inflation, a a spiking murder rate, not just from last year into this year, but this year compared to last year, which was already way up. So you've got more violence in America. 
You've got inflation rising. You've got people not going to work because they're making more money staying home. You've got, you know, enemies, the wolves circling, so to speak, all over the world. Obviously, you know, Russian cyber hacker group here, not scared of us with what they've done on Colonial's pipeline. Hamas recognizing. You think Hamas would have gotten uh, this frisky with Trump in office? I don't think so. Things change. Things change rapidly. The bad guys know the truth of leadership in America right now. They know the difference. And, you know, well, you've got terrorists that are willing to uh, mess around and find out now, you know, they're gonna mess around, see what they can get away with. You have all of this happening, the border crisis, the worst numbers in at least 20 years, really the worst numbers ever for illegal crossings. And what is the media focusing on? Oh, the, the Liz Cheney leadership fight. Oh, the Liz Cheney leadership fight. Really? I mean, yeah, it's a news story. It's a second hour of the radio show, maybe, uh, you know, fourth page of the newspaper news story. But, you know, sure enough, that's what you can expect to see. That's the kind of focus. What do you see on CNN right now? Top of the top of the page. Biggest story on CNN. G.O.P. Aus Cheney. That's right. What do they need to feed their audience? A steady diet of Republicans are at each other's throats. Sure. Yeah, that's what's really important right now. No one's even going to remember the Cheney fight. I mean, it's interesting to me as somebody who cares about the GOP's future, the direction of the party. But it's that's because I get I'm, I'm the, the way I am about politics is the way producer Mark is about hockey. Right. I get deep into it. I'm a nerd about it. It's my job. So for, for normal people, the Cheney fight i mean whatever who cares we'll talk about it a little later but notice that that the media there's no narrative of crisis right now and all you've got you have you have gas lines for heaven's sakes you've got 30 percent of gas stations in some states without gas for people that's really anxiety producing folks as you all know that hurts your ability to go to work that that shuts down business deliveries that that is a nightmare for folks and the biden administration's you know kind of blase about the whole thing oh yeah yeah you know it's a private sector colonial's private sector you know they'll figure it out i don't know who needs gas you got a bicycle maybe you ride that you know do your deliveries you know you could do like an old milk truck and you sort of push it you know just buffoonery nincompoopery on a massive scale from Biden and his team. And this is entirely unsurprising because these are unserious people. They're serious about their statism, their socialism, their authoritarianism, don't get me wrong, but their ideas, their ideas are those of unserious human beings who do not have knowledge, wisdom, and self-reflection worthy of any power. That's the truth of Biden and the people around him. They should be in charge of nothing. But because the left has seized the commanding heights of major institutions all across the country over a series of decades, because the socialists have infiltrated the Democrat Party, and now the socialists are increasingly showing us that they're actually communists. Yeah, I know. Guess what? They're able to win the battle of propaganda, to win the perception fight enough to just eke out the power to do stupid things like we're seeing all over the country. 
and we suffer as a result. But does it even matter as far as the Democrats are concerned? If they can convince people that this is just happening, that or it's not happening at all, right? It's either a situation that's beyond Biden's control or what situation? The way they're trying to cover for Joe Biden right now is exactly as we anticipated. It's exactly what we thought. And thank God that there is conservative media out there. Not just me. There are many voices right now. But I think, you know, this radio show is the best radio show, obviously. Podcast is the best podcast. Uh But I'm thankful for the others on my team, so to speak, generally, you know, out there on conservative media who are holding up the mirror to this administration and seeing what an ugly mess it is. Thank you. Two topics on real quick. Is the White House rethinking their opposition to new pipeline projects since one really important one goes offline and gas stations start running dry? I wouldn't say we look at it as through that prism, Peter. We look at it, we analyze uh, both the impact, the economic impact, as well as the environmental impact. And that will certainly remain the case. But we look at different each pipeline project uh, individually. Unserious people. Unserious people. That's what these Democrats are. Their ideas are unserious. Uh, Their their response to why? Why do you have an almost religious zeal? against pipelines what is it that makes you think that well it's because they're they're climate change catastrophists and they've been brainwashed with this absurdity of the green new deal and they just think oil is bad natural gas is bad people who live in the real world say thank god for oil and natural gas because without it the modern world comes to a screeching halt there aren't enough windmills, libs. Get a grip. But this is it's a religious movement for them. It's a crusade or a jihad for green energy. And that's what's going on right now. That's what we're seeing. I, I have to note the fact that Jennifer Granholm is the uh, energy secretary is really all you have to know. This is a woman who on the Bill Maher show looked into my face when I was actually trying to have a, a real exchange. And Bill, to his credit, was listening because I said it's going to look bad for it's, it's bad for these Democrats when they're saying give illegals free health care. People don't like we're talking about that. And she starts yelling kids in cages, kids in cages like a toddler demanding candy. I mean, just just repeating some mantra in my face like a total clown. She's the energy secretary now. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. These are the people who are in charge. It's it's unreal. I mean, look, I, I thought there were some misses in the Trump administration with personnel, and there were some very bad choices that were made. Uh, but they were choices that were made out of a sense of, of Trump's loyalty and, and his relationships with individuals. But they weren't radicals. They just weren't part of the MAGA agenda. I mean, they were just self-defeating for Trump. But they weren't they weren't people that thought they were going to transform the country in some idealized utopian vision. That's what you've got now. The faculty lounge of Oberlin College is running the government, friends. And that's why you have gas lines. And that's why you have inflation rising. And that's why you have murders spiking all over the place. Where is Biden doing a good job? The one thing they point to is on vaccines, to which I say. The vaccine was already developed thanks to Operation Warp Speed and Trump and already in distribution. And what are they? They're better 
at distributing it? Based on what? Yeah, more time means more people have gotten the vaccine. But okay, so they get shots in arms. This was all through the. This is all through private sector pharmaceutical companies developing the technology. Oh wait, but I I have to go back for a second to uh, Granholm because I I mentioned how deeply unserious she is and play clip three. Obviously, we have the acute issues with the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack, but looking more holistically in a macro view, how does this speed up the efforts at DOE to move in more of a renewable direction since this is going to have an impact on people at the pump? Yeah, I mean, we obviously are all in on making sure that we meet the president's goals of getting to 100% clean electricity by 2035 and uh, net zero carbon emissions by 2050. And, um, you know, if you drive an electric car, this would not be affecting you, clearly. Um, But it's just, it's another, it's, I I don't want to, this company um, is acting in a responsible way. Uh, They took their pipeline down so that the ransomware would not spread. And so up to this point, they have they're carefully reviewing so that they're doing this in a responsible way. Uh, The broader issue is a very important issue. It's an issue for the president's uh, priority in the American jobs plan, the issue of investing in a transmission grid, for example, so that you don't have the cyber issues associated with it. So there's a lot of broader questions in this. um, And we hope that we'll be able to see that investment in infrastructure that will facilitate clean and renewable energy. Just a bunch of babbling from somebody who's just honestly not very bright, but has been in government for many years in different capacities. Notice that she says in a kind of smug fashion that if you drove an electric car, this pipeline issue wouldn't affect you. And that's why, haha, we should move to all renewable energy and, you know, by 2050 or by 20, you know, 2080 and, you know, 2225. I mean, they're just, it's all nonsense. The whole thing. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to zero. Please. I've been saying this for 30 years already. Uh, Where does she think the electricity for electric cars comes from? I mean, she's the energy secretary. I wonder if she knows. I I would love it, you know, if we actually had a real press corps, which we don't, other than a few people at Fox News who get into the West Wing. If we had a real press corps, somebody would probably ask the question, uh, excuse me, energy secretary. So electric cars, they'd all be fine, except you're saying, oh, ha ha, electric cars. That's great. We don't need fossil fuels. They're not being powered by uh, electric cars are not getting all their their electricity from wind turbines. Where are they getting it from? A lot of it from coal, actually. But you see, they they learn. This is the, the trouble with Democrats. They learn the wrong lessons. A pipeline goes down, causes catastrophe. And instead of the rational response to this, which would be, wow, we need redundant pipelines and we need more fossil fuel access while we're still so reliant on this, which we're going to be for at least decades more. They say, well, yeah, this will really push people into, you know, into the green energy movement. It's really going to be really going to be great. I Democrats in this Biden administration, the people that are making the policy decisions, it's like a child who puts his hand on a hot stove and burns himself. In this case, the burdens are the murder rate, inflation, stall that economy, hiring off by 700,000 last month, gas lines in the southeast, burns his hand and goes, oh, maybe if I put both hands on the hot stove, then it won't hurt. 
they take the wrong lessons from our pain as a country. That's the problem. This is something that's a very serious attack on critical infrastructure in our country. This pipeline actually doesn't touch Florida, but it does feed into many of our gas stations. Uh, so we've declared a state of emergency. We're lifting restrictions to be able to get more fuel into pumps. But the Biden administration needs to take this seriously. Their initial response is, oh, this is a private pipeline and just shrug your shoulders. This is important infrastructure for our country, and it could impact our economy greatly if they don't respond. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, again, taking action, showing how it's done. One day I'm going to come on the show. I, I, I'm telling you, one day I just want you to be prepared. I'm going to say, oh, I disagree with Ron DeSantis. It's going to happen. But right now it feels like it might be a few years off. Every time this guy does something, every time this guy takes a decision and, and we hear about it on the, on the national stage, you go, yeah, that makes sense. And I want to tell you, this is why I think the Democrats hate him so much. Yes, he's clearly a threat to old man, you know, Magoo, Mr. Magoo, Joe Biden in 2024. Although at that point, let's be honest, we all think it's probably going to be President Harris and Joe Biden will have stepped down. That's and, and the Democrats will say until that happens, they'll say, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. That's never going to. And then what happens? They'll go, yeah, what are you going to do about it? We shut you up while we wanted to. This is so critical. I just I just had uh, dinner with a very, very MAGA friend of mine last night here in New York. We were talking about this and I said to him, one of the most important lessons, if there's one thing that conservatives today need to understand, need to know. And this is true about every fight, every political fight, every cultural fight. We come from this mentality of, hey, there are rules, there are principles, there's there's basic, fundamental decency and honesty and we have this initial desire not only to express anger, outrage when the left violates those, but we think if we tell them they're violating them. We think if we say, hey, libs, you're being hypocrites or hey, libs, you're gaslighting. You're pretending you don't know what we're saying is true just to agitate us that they that there's some possibility that they'll turn around and say, you know what, you're right. That's that's too far. We we should establish some common ground on that. We should play by the same rules. Eh, that's not how it goes. You know what the left's feeling on all that is? You, when, when you say the left is being hypocritical, what they're saying amongst themselves and what they're basically telling you to your face now as a conservative is, yeah, and what are you going to do about it? This is the raw exercise of power and the abandonment of principle in pursuit of it. That's the political reality of dealing with the Democrat left. This is why they keep advancing and we retreat so often that merely holding our ground, which we were able to do somewhat under the four years of Trump, feels like a victory, but it's actually just holding our ground. As the onslaught of the authoritarian left just continues to seize the commanding heights of our culture, our economy and our political system, they keep on going. And we say, but but we, come on, that's not fair. We're complaining about the refs being paid off and the other team is laughing, saying, yeah, we paid off the refs. What are you going to do about it? And that's the question that we have to answer now. 
The Liz Cheney answer is, well, maybe if we write a letter and we're really upset and we express how our shared American goals and values will bring us together as we're blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you can take that approach if you want and just keep getting dunked on by libs all the time. Just keep getting dunked on or you can understand how they're playing the game and maybe dunk back. They hate DeSantis, though. To bring me back to that that point here, they hate DeSantis because he is showing that you can govern effectively with good results while respecting individual rights and the Constitution and the rule of law and that you don't have to always justify your actions with their good intentions, right? You don't have to justify your actions with good intentions. You can actually justify them with good outcomes. They hate this because what they always say is Republicans don't. Republicans are the party of no. They don't want to do anything. We, the Democrats, are, are here to, you know, to, to feed and clothe and house and make you feel like you have purpose. That's what the Democrat Party does, right? They're there to be your best friend, your protector, which anyone who knows anything about the government understands. Government doesn't give a crap about you. It just doesn't. It's not there to keep you safe and warm at night. That's what the Buck Sexton show is for. The government does not care about you. And DeSantis shows that, yeah, he's not pretending to be everybody's friend. He's creating a framework for American freedom, success and prosperity. And that's the role of government. It's not to pretend to be everything for you all the time and therefore be able to control all aspects of your life at all times. So he, in a sense, is showing us just what of what an unnecessary intrusion into our lives the democrat approach to governance is and they despise him for it and we have run one of the most remarkable experiments of state governance in i mean it certainly in modern history in this country certainly the post world war ii era where you have people like gavin newsom People like DeSantis. You have Governor Cuomo. You have Governor Abbott. Who gets like Abbott gets like a B minus. But anyway, you know, you've got people that showed that they could actually lead and it wasn't about them and they kept their states open and they kept things going. And you had demagogue leftist authoritarians who trampled on the Constitution who shut down businesses unnecessarily, who destroyed people's livelihoods because they were drunk with power and they wanted the approval of their socialist leftist peers. That's what happened with Gavin Newsom in California. And you compare it to my main man, Ron DeSantis in Florida, and the results speak for themselves. Here he is, play seven. We've had schools in person, as you've said. We had a successful school year. It's coming to a conclusion over the next couple of weeks, uh, and we're proud of that. But just think of all the millions of kids who were locked out of school for over a year in places like California. That is going to have ramifications for our society for years and years. And I can't tell you, Sean, every time I go out, someone will come up to me and say, thank you for keeping us open. You saved my job or you saved my business. And we know if we were in other states like California and New York, 
I know my job would be gone or I know my business would be gone. So we're proud of the success that we've had. Uh, we obviously have more to do going forward, but uh, the damage of those lockdowns are going to reverberate in this country for a long time. Lockdowns failed. We have the data. We tried different approaches in this country. Lockdowns failed. They were the wrong move. And cowardly politicians not only did them, but insisted, even when the data was clear, insisted that they were the only path forward and you better shut up and listen to them and do as you're told. And if you question this, Facebook and Twitter and these social media giants crushed you. Why? Because they're run by leftists. Didn't matter that they were all wrong. Do you think do you think I get an apology from the the Facebook fact checking team for how everything that I said that they came after me for was true? All of it. They were wrong. I was right. Do you think they send me an apology? Do you think do you think they say sorry that we cut you off from your audience arbitrarily at various points? Sorry that we you know, severed your connection with people that counted you for information because we felt like it and, and covered it up with this. Oh, but we have an independent fact checker, please. Hire a bunch of leftist, uh, you know, digital brown shirts to go around, shutting down people's ability to speak in the public square. Social media companies should be ashamed, but they're not because they're so powerful. They think they've bought off all the politicians and we have no choice. But it's a long race, friends. It's a long game we're playing here. Ron DeSantis is so important to what's gone on in this country in the last year because he's the only one in a large state with a large population. And just to be very clear, some people get upset. I'm only saying that because we need to make apples to apples comparison. You know, if, if you live in North Dakota, God bless, I, you're smarter than those of us who live in New York City paying crazy high taxes for tiny space and everything else. I'm when I say a big state, I'm not saying it's a more important place or a better place or anything like that. I'm just saying to compare California with its population density and size to North Dakota is going to be dismissed and rightfully so. But Florida is a large and populous state, so it's a fair comparison to New York or New Jersey or California. Texas, the same thing, although Governor Abbott was not great. If it wasn't for DeSantis, they would be able to get away with the lie that the lockdowns were necessary. And so I am not only did he do great things for his own state, but I am forever grateful because they're going to they're going to try to do this again. This isn't the last time you think we get a rough flu season. There's going to be localized and state level closures and, oh, everyone needs to double mask and maybe we should all wear respirators. And they're going to go back to this. It's hysteria. The most neurotic among us, those who have not made their peace and this is a big part of it. Those who have not made their peace with the fact that we are all going to die. You and I are going to die. We are not in control of when that will happen. And the state cannot fully protect us and never will be able to. People that can't can't process that notion can't can't figure out that that's just reality. They believe if they just cling to the state like a child holding on to, you know, their parents leg not letting go, that everything will be okay. It's not true. It's a mirage. And in clinging, in a sense, to the state, there are all these negative ramifications. There are all these intrusions on liberty, all these constitutional violations that come from that. So yes, I, I understand. I do, not like, I do not like playing the role of political cheerleader for anybody because I come at all 
political analysis with the with cynicism about the state and government and with an understanding that all human beings are fallible and make mistakes and politicians make more than most. But right now, the governor of Florida, he's not just doing a victory dance. He's doing backflips in the end zone after spiking the football, running up into the stands and making out with the opposing team's quarterback's girlfriend. That's what's going on. And so when the president makes the goal of 70 percent of adults receiving at least one vaccine by the 4th of July, we believe that that is an attainable goal. The reason we feel it's important is that I believe that we are about at that critical turning point when we get a certain percentage. We don't know exactly what it is. But clearly, the majority of individuals in the country vaccinated, we will see a sharp turning point and a marked diminution in cases. And so, as I said the last time I testified before you, we are in a race between the vaccine and the virus. If left to its own devices, will continue to surge. Based on experience thus far in this country and globally, I feel confident that if we continue to vaccinate people at the rate that we're doing, that we will very soon have a situation where we will have so few infections in this country, we will begin to return to the normality that all of us desire so much. Why does this guy have to always speak in a 500 or 700 word essay when a couple of sentences would be in a, you know, we have a diminution, never trust a bureaucrat, who has diminution as a crutch word. Notice how much he says it. When you hear my impersonation of him, why do I know that the diminution of the, you know, yeah. You know, there could be a surge. And when your cases are a diminution, this guy's the worst, the worst. We have been running a Milgram experiment, except this little lab coat tyrant has been telling people not to electrocute each other for the good of the country, but to, not allow each other to breathe freely, to stifle and agitate and annoy the most basic human act that we do, which is breathing. The basis of our lives is actually taking in breath. Without that, more important than water, food, anything else. Without that, we're done. And to put an artificial interruption on that process and all the psychological damage to children, to adults. Every time now somebody wants me to put a mask on, I'll tell you this. I, I kind of want to throw a punch. I'm just saying. Every time I'm told to do this, I look at them, I'm like, really? I'm immune. Why do I have to do this? Oh, because we're scared about the people who would lie about their immunity. And also, we're just terrified about the one in 50,000 chance that maybe. This is the society we're living in now. The neurotic get to call all the shots. It's not the country I thought I was living in, but it is the one we have been living in. Fauci goes, you know, 70 percent by July will get to the, the diminution of the parabola of the, you know, uh, E equals MC squared, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Did I mention I have an MD? Uh, yeah, this guy can't just say by July 1st, 70% of adults vaccinated in this country, CDC guidance should be in my... He can give his opinion on anything he does all the time. CDC guidance should be all restrictions gone. That doesn't mean if people want to be psychos and they want to go outside in a gas mask in you know in eighty five degree weather and live their lives that way because they're honestly they Fauciism is a mental illness now and they have been infected with that. Fine, you know. I mean, I don't like that, and I'll tell them not to do it, but I'm not going to tell them they can't do it. Uh, but 
No, Fauci will not give definitive declarations on this. They will not give definitive declarations because then we could hold them to it. And here's a uh, here's a preview. They're going to try to move the goalposts again. You know, do you want to live in a country where the same people? How many of you have had the experience? You go to the doctor. Doctor says, you know, you're a little overweight. I mean, a lot of you are like, fuck, I have a six pack. But, you know, the rest of us. okay, you're a little overweight. You know, cut out butter, cut out red meat, cut out. They tell you to cut out all this stuff. You know, because the 30 seconds that, a, that a, an average uh, physician will spend talking to you about nutrition is, you know, that, that you're lucky if you get 30 seconds with a doctor on nutrition. But they'll say, you know, cut out this, cut out that. Don't drink coffee. Don't drink alcohol. You know, try to avoid sex because there can be diseases from that unless you're trying to make a baby. Uh, and even then there can be diseases. But they'll tell you all these things and you say, OK, I'm just not going to do that. But thanks for the advice, Doc. Fauci is that annoying physician in charge of the entire U.S. economy and basic human freedoms during the pandemic. That's what's happened. Could the stock market have one big move up in the weeks ahead here? Yes. According to Carnivore Trading, who are seeing several key indicators out there, they believe that some of the biggest profits yet in this crazy market are going to come in sectors that Wall Street experts are largely going to miss. You see, Carnivore Trading is an elite squad of strategists who influence major Wall Street investors. And when you subscribe to Carnivore, you'll receive real-time text alerts of explosive trades they're making for their elite clients. You can mirror their trades with your discount broker. That's right, mirror their trades with text messages they send to you letting you know exactly what they're doing. They routinely crush the S&P 500, and they guarantee you'll earn five times your monthly subscription or double your money back. That's 5x your monthly fee just by mirroring their trades. The market looks to be on the verge of a massive upswing. Get off the sidelines and mirror Carnivore's trades. Right now, you'll get two weeks free. Visit GetOurTrades.com and use promo code BUCK. That's GetOurTrades.com, promo code BUCK. See website for guarantee terms and conditions. Past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. Our duty is clear. Every one of us who has sworn the oath must act to prevent the unraveling of our democracy. This is not about policy. This is not about partisanship. This is about our duty as Americans. Remaining silent and ignoring the lie emboldens the liar. I will not participate in that. I will not sit back and watch in silence while others lead our party down a path that abandons the rule of law and joins the former president's crusade to undermine our democracy. Liz Cheney is out, but man, she is still doubling down and digging in on the big lie. Let's get our friend Ryan Gerdusky in the mix here. He's the author of They're Not Listening, a fantastic book and political consultant, Ryan, great to have you. What do you make of Liz's ouster? I mean, listen, she could have avoided this had she just shut up. I mean, McConnell, you know, on January 6th, basically said Trump was the reason there was a riot and blamed him for everything and then moved on. She could have moved on just like McConnell did and she would have survived. It's the fact that she couldn't stop talking about Trump. It's ironic because it's the people who hate him the most that can't seem to get his name out of their mouths. What did she think she was accomplishing with it? I mean, is it just a does she have some kind of family honor at stake here as the Cheneys that 
She, she really needs to bring the GOP back to the good old days when we were invading countries without a, a plan or even good reason. I mean, what, what's the idea here? What do you think she's trying to accomplish? Well, well think, of, think of Liz Cheney and what she talks about in general. Liz falls for every liberal trope known to man. She believed that the uh, Russians were putting bounties on Americans' heads in Afghanistan. Did about a dozen press conferences about that. She believed everything that Fauci said with COVID um nonstop she, anything that the liberal media peddled and pushed as a talking point liz echoed so this is of course one more thing that msnbc is talking about so she's echoing it i think that has more to do with it than anything else but this was absolutely avoidable on the part of liz cheney's behalf i think that there's an incentive um if you're if you're maybe hit your ceiling professionally she can go on, have a contract on MSNBC, have a best-selling book to sell to Democrats. I mean, the, the great irony that George W. Bush and Dick Cheney's daughter are going to be celebrated and are currently being celebrated by the left for hating Donald Trump is truly the biggest irony in the world. Do you think that the others around her are, are at some point, you know, people like um, who's the uh, Congress Kinzinger, right? I mean, there, there are some other Republicans that are that are taking a similar tone. What's their play, Ryan? I mean, what, what do you think there is it really just to get on MSNBC and, and maybe get a nice fat book deal from one of the big publishers who are all controlled by libs? Well, look, I mean, compare compare Kinzinger and Cheney to Rice, Congressman Rice from South Carolina. They all voted for impeachment. Rice has not been out there making his entire life about Donald Trump. Um, Kinzinger, Gonzalez, who ironically, I worked against his primary I worked for his primary challenger years ago when I said he was a bad guy. But Gonzalez, uh, Kinzinger, Cheney, they're raising millions of dollars and making their name completely about Donald Trump. Newsom, Valdeo, uh, Newsom, sorry, uh, uh, um, Newport, oh, the guy from Washington State, can't remember his name, Butler, Valdeo, Katko, uh, Rice, they're not mentioning Trump anymore. They voted for his impeachment and they moved on. Um, and there's a reason why the headlines are, you know, why, why MSNBC and CNN are obsessed with uh, uh, Kinzinger and, and Cheney and aren't talking about these other congressmen is because to survive, all they have to do is just shut up and they'd have a they'd have a, you know, a running chance. Maybe that voters would just simply forget or just say, OK, they had one vote and I'll get past. I mean, maybe many of them will probably lose their primary, but it would, they have a chance. Cheney and Kinzinger, uh, you know, maybe that they're hoping to say, look, I could sit there and spin Trump's face and spin Trump's voter space and talk about it endlessly and survive my primary. But, you know, Kinzinger, for all the love he gets from Democrats, is probably suddenly redistricted into a Democrat seat. And uh, Cheney, there's a good chance she won't survive her primary. We're speaking to Ryan Gerdusky, author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution. You know, Ryan, I saw some data getting uh, shared around uh, social media today from some uh, politicos about how the, the real change in the trajectory of different voting groups in, in recent elections, essentially the, the biggest upside win that Biden had in 2020 was with non-college educated uh, white males, you know, in comparison to the trend in the two elections before that. Can, can you... Can you break down some of that? Because I think people have this belief that, oh, Biden won because of the minority vote. From what I saw, it's actually, I mean, yes, he got a huge portion of the minority vote. But the, the game changer 
was three or four percentage points of the white working class vote. Right. That, that's ironically, that's my new op ed. He OK, so I'll make it um, I'll clarify it even more. Uh, about 60 percent of Biden's vote came from white voters with half being college educated, half being non-college educated. About 24 million Biden voters were non-college educated white men. And the, the only area that he received a bump from Hillary Clinton was among non-college educated and college educated whites. Those are the two areas. He lost support from where Hillary was in 2016 among minorities. However, he did still win 90 percent of the black vote. He still did win six, uh, 61, 67 percent of the Hispanic vote. Or, no, sorry, 61 percent of the Hispanic vote. Um, and I think Trump won 39 percent. So something to that effect. Um, and he still won uh, 70, some 77 percent of the Asian vote. So he won in great part because he received a bump from the from the white vote while Trump came with minorities. However, the real reason he won was because of the minority vote. I mean, he had he not won these overwhelming majorities, two third majorities in the case of Asians and blacks and um, and over 60 percent of the Hispanic vote. He would not have won. Um, right, but, but that was the, the, the point that the data set that I saw was making was that that was within, you know, you expect to win over 90 percent of the African-American vote as a Democrat. You expect to win over 60 percent of the. But the the change was in the white surge, voters. The surge was the surge. Listen, there are for everyone says the Republicans have hit their cap with work, white, white working uh, class voters and that they can't go any higher. There are 61 million or 62 million white working class voters either voted for Biden or didn't vote at all in the 20 um, in the 2020 election. Had two percent of those who have gone for Trump, Trump would still be in office. It's far easier to win the White House by trying to win over one to two percent of the working white collar vote than it is to win 10 percent or eight percent of the Hispanic vote. Right. The blue collar white working class vote is is a is a huge percent. I mean, when you look at the percentages, uh, it's it's very substantial. We're talking to Ryan Gerdusky. They're not listening. How the elites created the national populist revolution is his book. Do you think that uh, GOP unity is going to increase now that we've had this ouster of Cheney? Is this just getting as much attention as it is because Democrats love to watch Republicans fight? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've had Kristen Cinema, you've had um, Mark Kelly, you had uh, Keeler, uh, uh, Congressman Keeler from Texas, all attack Biden in the last two weeks over his border crisis. You're probably going to have them sit there and talk about the gas leaks pretty soon. I mean, we have uh, we have a crisis in Israel that I'm sure if Biden takes the side of Israel, which I imagine to do, AOC may lash out at him. I mean, you have warring tribes in the Democratic Party all the time. But it's simply because the media sits there and imagines that they're all, you know, skipping and, uh, you know, skipping and hanging out together, that they don't highlight these growing tensions among the Democratic Party. Um, on, on the Republican side, I think that, you know, it's definitely a party in transition and it's trying to find its, you know, voice. And you do have these, you know, handful of Republicans who like to criticize everyone who does not, you know, bow down to conventional George W. Bush Republican politics. But that side is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and they don't really have a giant voting base. So I, I think there's, I think it's interesting to note uh, in the Democratic Party, which has a figurehead like Biden, who uh, you know is trying to preside over very different warring factions of the Democratic Party uh, that make up voters, and and people like Cheney and Kinsinger who are 
you know, very loud mouths that kind of are trying to show division in a fairly unified party. Ninety what? Ninety one percent voted for Trump in twenty twenty. Um, you know, and even even in twenty sixteen, I think it was like eighty seven percent voted for Trump. This is not these are not like very you know these are not huge segments of the GOP wanting to move back and forth. And I, I don't know if you saw this. There was a letter that a hundred former Republicans signed saying they were going to start their own third party. They all voted for Biden. I mean, they all voted for Biden. So, what, there's been a third party now taking votes away from Biden in case case swing states? Have at it. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. People who vote for Biden, also known as Democrats. Our friend Ryan Gerdusky, everybody, check out his book. They're not listening how the elites created the national populist revolution. Ryan, I always appreciate your political insights, my friend. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Dr. Walensky, I used to have the utmost respect for the guidance from the CDC. I always considered the CDC to be the gold standard. I don't anymore. And I want to give you three examples where I think the conflicting, confusing guidance from your agency has undermined public confidence and contradicts the scientific guidance of many experts. I kind of wish we got to hear all three of those, but you get the idea. (laughs) You have Senator Collins saying that uh, that she no longer thinks the CDC is the gold standard. And to that, I just respond. Yeah, you shouldn't have thought that for about the last nine months. It has really been clear since last summer that the CDC is run by Democrats who are neurotic mediocrities playing politics, covering for the teachers unions, giving absurd guidance that is has the effect of law. I hate this term guidance. They are making laws because the federal government turns to them. The executive branch turns to them and says, "Okay, what do we do? And they go, well, you know, we're just giving you the guidance. I mean, it has the effect of law. It's like a rulemaking agency, which there are many of in the federal government that can come up with some, you know, fish and wildlife can say, well, this is the determination we have about, you know, how many how many salmon you can catch this year. And if you mess it up, they can arrest you. Right. I mean, there there are federal agencies that have effectively criminal rulemaking authority. You know, they can make you into a criminal if they want. The CDC has taken has taken it upon itself to be effectively the covid pandemic super legislature. So I just think it's disingenuous when they pretend, oh, yeah, you know, we're just we're just giving you our ideas. They know that's not true. They know that the federal government's going to do exactly, especially this federal government, the Biden administration is going to do exactly what they say. And they'll give the Biden administration what they want, which is just more. They want to feed into the pandemic paranoia more. They want to feed into it. Well, we're all seeing now these people are are nuts. I mean, I really do believe that Fauciism has turned into a, a mental illness, that people have become so riddled with anxiety that they can no longer be counted on to be reasonable, to be thoughtful, to make their own decisions, because they're just, oh, my gosh, what, what does Fauci say? Does Fauci say I can hug someone? Does Fauci say I can hug? I mean, you need Fauci to tell you whether it's safe to hug somebody. Something In the U.K., you know, they're actually just being told in the recent weeks, you know, you can hug people. In Canada, they'll arrest you if you try to have a church service that doesn't respond to or that doesn't uh, c- comply with the arbitrary COVID guidelines. 
So there are other places in the world where this has been a real problem, and people should think differently about the government going forward. You, as a patriot, as a law-abiding, God-fearing, uh, and I know there's atheists, atheists who listen to the show too, and, you know, God bless, uh, but as a, as a law-abiding person and citizen in this country, uh, you should be armed, okay? I, I think now we're, we're getting to the point where everybody should understand that you should enjoy your Second Amendment rights and exercise them. This government going tyrannical at some point in the future, which is the whole purpose of the Second Amendment, as we know, the government going tyrannical is something that you should not dismiss out of hand as a as an absurdity. Not that you do, but more than ever, I think people have seen, huh, really? The government thinks it has the right to arrest people for gathering with their own family and friends in a private home because the government says so. They did in Oregon. They did in parts of this country. They do in Canada. They do in the UK. I'm going to arrest you. going to take away your freedom because you want to be with your family members because they say it's not safe. It's not safe. Yeah, the, the authorities, those same authorities did such a good job handling this pandemic, didn't they? You should have contempt, contempt for the CDC and for Fauci. That's what they deserve. If this was a war, they lost battle after battle. And now finally, it seems we may have uh, exhausted the enemy or maybe the enemy's exhausted our reserves. And so we're, we're approaching the end of this thing. But nobody could say that our response to this was a success. And what do they do? They blame you. Oh, you didn't mask up enough. You didn't social distance enough. Yeah, as, as if that was really some great pandemic ender. No, they overstated this all along because neurotics needed some emotional crutch to think that we could control this. We can stop the virus. I remember last summer in California, New York, when people were saying, oh, see, we wore masks, so we took care of this. It's not how it works. Back to Senator Collins in this hearing yesterday on Capitol Hill, speaking to Walensky, who's almost as bad as Fauci, and how CDC sucks up to teachers unions because the CDC is a just like so many other federal agencies, a bunch of Democrat deep staters. Play 12. So here we have unnecessary barriers to reopening schools, exaggerating the risks of outdoor transmission and unworkable restrictions on summer camps. Why does this matter? It matters because it undermines public confidence in your recommendations, in the recommendations that do make sense, in the recommendations that Americans should be following. Yeah. If you are a rational, reasonable person who is paying attention, you don't trust the CDC's guidance anymore because you shouldn't. Even Bro Cuomo over at CNN starting to see this play 10. The New York Times reporting that the CDC's numbers on the risk of catching COVID outdoors are misleading at best. What does that mean? Well, we've been working on the assumption that, quote, less than 10 percent of transmission happens outdoors. However, it is just as likely that the transmission percentage is less than 1 percent. Why? Why didn't they update it? Is this about them big brothering us? And yes. The answer is yes. Come on. Come on, bro. Cuomo. 
come, come on over into into the side of truth and reasonableness on this one. I, I don't care about all your other stupid statements. I don't care about our political disagreements. I don't care about, you know, the fact that you cover for your brother and all that. On this issue, the more the merrier. The CDC didn't want people to realize how absolutely bleeping stupid it was to have anybody masking outside ever. So they didn't update the numbers. And I was right, and they were wrong the entire time. Yay. Team, you often hear me talk about how the left is authoritarian, how Fauciism, how social media censorship, how all of this is part of a broader mentality that you must do as you're told, you must comply, and force will be used to achieve that. Well, we know somebody who's been fighting against the radical left for a long time, and he's got a book out now that deals with this topic. David Horowitz is with us now. His new book is The Enemy, How the Totalitarian Movement is destroying America. David, great to have you on. Yeah, the enemy within is. This is a movement I came out of. I was raised by communists. I was a leader of the New Left in the 60s, the editor of its largest magazine. And I left the left when I realized it wasn't about justice, social or otherwise, or peace. It was a hate America left. And I realized this when the left got its biggest victory, driving America out of Vietnam in 1975. And the communists came in and proceeded to slaughter two and a half million Indo-Chinese peasants. And there wasn't a single demonstration by the so-called anti-war movement against the communist slaughter of innocents. And that, that showed me I was involved in an evil movement uh, that there would never was really a new left. This was a communist left reborn. They just changed the names. And that left then proceeded to march into the Democrat Party in the McGovern campaign. And over a 50-year period, they not only have taken over uh, our cultural institutions, uh, universities, uh, and that's how the media has uh, been corrupted. uh, but their agenda is exactly the same to destroy this country and set up a communist state. Now, this is, you know, I was, I, I sometimes, was, David, just so you know, I, I will refer to the radical left as, and, and intentionally disparagingly as commies. And I'll, I'll sometimes even have some conservatives say, that's not fair. They're social Democrats. And then I'll get into this exchange where I'll say, hold on a second. I mean, if, if we're going to talk about, and, or, or they'll say, you know, democratic socialists is another thing that they'll say. And I'll point out that the the early communists, I mean, the original communists all thought of themselves as socialists, actually. And and that we're now we're now starting to slice this pretty thin. I mean, yeah, is it fair to say that there's a communist movement within the Democratic Party in America today, That's ideologically speaking? Use, look, it's a, it's totalitarians. So I use the term they're really fascists is what they are. Um, and you can see that in their approach to the January 6th event. Um, here was a, a protest. These people are guilty of trespassing, basically. They didn't burn the Capitol the way the left has been burning federal buildings across the country. Um, they, the Democrats immediately jumped on and quoted an armed insurrection, even though not a single firearm was confiscated. And uh, there was no, you can't have an insurrection without weapons. Um, 
And uh, they then tried to expel Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz from Congress for questioning the election result, um, where the the Democrats have questioned every uh, Republican victory this century, 2000, 2004, and of course the Trump victory. They went into the well of the House to decertify the electors. But now, if you just raise it uh, as a possibility that there might have been some shenanigans during the election, you're a traitor. In so many words, I mean, Pelosi has called Republicans, all Republicans, enemies of the state. This is very reminiscent of the Reichstag fire. Um, The Weimar Republic was a democracy. Hitler won the chancellorship in a democracy. Then the Nazis burned their capital, which was the Reichstag, blamed it on the Dutch communists, and passed uh, the Reichstag Fire Act, which criminalized uh, their opposition, their opponents, uh, and laid the foundations of the Third Reich. That's exactly what Pelosi is doing. Uh, extreme as that sounds, that's literally what's going on. They, they, uh, they've established how many witch hunts. They, a two-month stand down in the military where they witch hunted extremists, where they made very clear that extremists are conservatives. Uh, a witch hunt in the Department of Homeland Security, a witch hunt in the Capitol Police. They've allocated $89 million for, uh, to the Justice Department um, for a similar witch hunt nationally uh, to weed out extremists while they're in full-throated support of uh, violent criminal extremists of uh, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, uh, and, you know, they've raised bail money uh, for people arrested, burning down American cities. We're, people are, are not talking um, accurately, shall we say, about the left. They, conservatives always, you know, find it necessary to sugarcoat what they're saying. They, they know it's like they don't want to embarrass their enemies who want to put them in jail. Um, I show in my book, The Enemy Within, that the Democrat Party for the last more than five years, their agenda has been the destruction of America's political order. Uh, Stacking the Supreme Court destroys the independent judiciary, abolishing the Electoral College. The Electoral College is in the Constitution and is designed to moderate uh, factionalism, uh, the d- disagreement between the parties, uh, conducted a, a year-in-year-out campaign against voter ID to make it easy to steal elections. Uh, first of all, there's no problem with vote- getting voter ID. You have to be a racist and think that poor black people are too stupid to to get themselves photo IDs, but then you also have to ignore the fact you need a photo ID to get food stamps, to get welfare, to get prescription, uh, to get prescription drugs. And even if it were the problem, which it is not, because 
blacks are voting in record numbers, even if it were a problem, the solution is really easy. You get a government program to provide photo IDs to every American who needs one. But they never propose that because this is really about stealing elections. We're speaking to David Horowitz. He's got a new book out, The Enemy Within, How the, uh, How the Totalitarian Movement is Destroying America. You can get it now wherever you buy books. Uh, David, how do you, if, if you were to do an order of battle and line up or you, know, you were to do a, a direct comparison of the power and the influence of the, the left, the totalitarian left in America, in the 1960s versus where it is now. How would you oh, assess that? Oh, it's a hundred times worse. Look, the Democrat, we, we, when I was in this movement in the 60s, we hated the Democrats because we thought they would co-opt people. But, but the Democrat Party was a patriotic party then, uh, then as it is no longer. Um, Hubert Humphrey was a down-the-line liberal, like 95% ADA ratings. But he, he, he was an anti-communist, and the new left wanted the communists to win the Cold War. So they stood a riot at the Democrat convention in 68 to ruin Humphrey's chances of, of being elected. This is a terrible, terrible Democrat party. I mean, not only are they mindless like AOC, but they're malice. Uh, look. What's the first thing that Biden said when he got in office? Uh, Systemic racism touches every aspect of American life. That is a monstrous lie. It's worthy of the psychological warfare departments in uh, Tehran, Beijing, and Moscow. Uh, The only systemic racism in America until Biden's election was affirmative action, and they had to get a Supreme Court pass on it precisely because it's illegal. The Civil Rights Act outlawed systemic racism in 1964. So just take police departments. If it were true that there was systemic racism in any of the 18,000 local police departments, there would be a tsunami of lawsuits. Uh, They would be collecting millions of dollars because it's patently illegal under our um, under our Constitution, under our laws to be systemically racist. The irony is that the Democrat Party, Biden, well, I don't know, I call Biden the Alzheimer puppet. We don't really know Well, we can suspect who's running Washington, but it certainly isn't him. the, 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 I lost my train. No, it's all right. We're talking. We're talking oh, to David Horowitz, no, author look, he's, author he's, of the Enemy Within. Institutional racism. They're giving millions and billions of dollars for, for example, bailing out small businesses if they're not white, uh, giving out medical attention to people, uh, putting those who are not white in the front of the line. The Democrat. This equity. What they call equity is systemic racism. They, they, people have no responsibility in the eyes of leftist totalitarianism. So what do we do, David? I mean, because this is I, I agree with your well, assessment that this is a dire this, this is a dire situation. What do we yes. do? 
Well, Trump has given us this gift. He has created for the first time in American history a mass conservative movement. When I came over from the left in the 80s, I looked around. The first thing I said to myself is, where's the ground army? The left has all these organizations uh, which harass and threaten and extort corporations and politicians until they get on board their program. That, that's why we have corporate America now, um, and the, leading the new racism, as it were, Dis, with Disney in the forefront. Um, the, 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 the solution is a grassroots movement is happening in the schools. You have to find out what your kids are learning, and then you have to get in the face of the teachers, the superintendents, the school boards that are doing it. I keep asking myself, why isn't there a sit-in at the headquarters of Twitter and Facebook with people you know, making uh, harassing uh, Jack Dorsey and Zuckerberg and saying, stop, uh, you know, stop this censorship of conservatives and would draw attention to it and it would embarrass them and hopefully it would um, begin to reverse this. But that's the only, you know, look, the election was stolen uh, and it was stolen because weak Republicans uh, who were in control of the legislatures in most of those battleground states failed to act. And that's what January 6th was about, to try to stiffen the spines of what Trump called weak Republicans. And he said, if you fail, do it peacefully and patriotically. And if you fail to do it, uh, if you fail to stiffen their spines, you have to go back home, and he said it in those words, and primary them. That was the completely democratic in order. You know, Republicans are very good at obeying the our democracy's rules instead of doing what the Democrats are trying to David, do. David, we got to leave it there for now, but I just want to say everyone should check out David Horowitz's new book, The Enemy Within, How the Totalitarian Movement is Destroying America. David, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Buck. In the words of Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now I have a dream that we will implement love, not hate, or supporting another Jim Crow's agenda. CRT is not an honest dialogue. It is a tactic that was used by Hitler and the Ku Klux Klan on slavery very many years ago to dumb down my ancestors so we could not think for ourselves. CRT is racist. It is abusive. It discriminates against one's color. Let me educate you. An honest dialogue does not impress, oppress. An honest dialogue does not implement hatred or injustice. It's to communicate with deceiving, without deceiving people. Today we don't need your agreement. We want action in the backbone for what we asked for today, to ban CRT. We don't want your political advertisement to divide our children or belittle them. Think twice before you indoctrinate such racist theories. You cannot tell me what is or is not racist. Look at me. I had to come down here today to tell you to your face that we are coming together and we are strong. This will not be the last. Greet and meet respectfully. There you had a parent in Loudoun County, Virginia who was letting it be known just how appalled she is at the critical race theory teaching that's going on or that they're trying to institute in that school district. Remember, a lot of students have been 
home for this year. And so their parents have been more aware of what kind of instruction they're getting. Right. In a sense, parents can hear and can even sit in if they want on any class any student has anywhere in the country. So I think that's also a part of this awakening to the dangers and, and the and the immorality of CRT teaching, critical race theory teaching. This is just recycled Marxism with a focus on race instead of class. That's all this is. Instead of constantly hammering the bourgeoisie and the oppressive capitalists, it constantly hammers white supremacy and uses that as a framework for all discussion and as as a wedge to divide people from each other. That's what's actually happening here. That is what is going on. And it's absolutely proper and good and and praiseworthy for conservatives to say enough is enough with this. Why should we let the Marxist left indoctrinate kids across the country? Why do we keep ceding control of institutions to the craziest and worst among the American people? Why not actually say that we care, too, about what children are taught in school, how children are educated? We finally are. It's good to see it. And I hope there's a whole lot more of this all across the country. It's what needs needs to happen. The pushback on CRT madness. It's time we check in with my good friend, Sean Parnell, who has a very special announcement that he has to make here in the Freedom Hut. He is a uh, former Army Ranger, a combat veteran, a best-selling author, and he's got even more stuff to tell us about now. Sean, as always, my man, good to have you. Hey, Buck. Thanks for having me. So, sir, I want you to tell this audience what you've got planned for the next chapter Yeah, well, (laughs) thanks for asking. Uh, But I am running for Senate in the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. There's an open U.S. Senate seat here being vacated by Republican Senator Pat Toomey. And I'm throwing my hat in the ring uh, because, you know, the the battle for the heart and soul of this country, man, is going to be right here in in Pennsylvania. Senate control uh, depends on us. And this is a must hold seat. So I'm all in. This is great news, man. I'm, I'm so glad to hear it. You know, we, we had you on a lot to talk about some of the shenanigans that went on in Pennsylvania in general in the 2020 election and then specifically in the Pennsylvania Congressional 17th District that you you ran in and, and how that was a razor tight contest with a lot of a lot of question marks still hanging around it. We'll, we'll leave it at that. But just before we get into uh, what some of your vision is for for well one what you see happening in the country now but also what you want to do if you get into the senate and we're certainly uh hoping and, and hoping to help in whatever way we can sean tell me what what's the timeline like here for where you know the, the, the primary the the general who you expect to face i mean what's the path ahead yeah it's a, it's a great question and, and by the way you know uh if you want to help go to parnell for senate uh, dot com. Uh, you can learn all about my platform, my vision, priorities, the things that are important to me. Um, and, and and if you feel so inclined, like contribute. You know, I think one of the things, Buck, that made our campaign so successful last time. And look, I'm a Republican, right? I'm I'm a conservative, and I'm a proud Republican. Um, but we had forty over forty five thousand 
individual small small dollar donors. We weren't beholden to any one political party, corporation, or anything like that. We were beholden to the people, and I think that's why our campaign. You know, we had such a uh, an unbelievable grassroots effort last last time because we were grassroots focused. Um, so, like the primary is is a year away, um, and yeah, that's a, it's a long way off. I mean, generally speaking, I think campaigns last too long as it is. Um, but we've already got boy two three people in uh, on the Republican side, uh, even more on the Democrat side. Uh, in candidates that, that, again, are already declared and already raising money. And when you're in a statewide race, you know, you got other people in that are raising money. You've got to get in and raise money, too. Otherwise, you know, you find yourself $10 million behind or something like that. And that's it's gonna, it's very difficult to dig yourself out of that hole. So the primary is in May. Obviously, the the, uh, the general is in, is in November. Um, but we're going to start early and we're going to get rocking and rolling uh, – basically today you know we're speaking to we're speaking to sean parnell uh former army ranger officer and and best-selling author who's now announced uh today he's announced here that he will be running uh for senate for the great state of pennsylvania so give us a sense i mean you know i'm here I, i i talk to people all across the country i'm here in new york i focus on a lot of new york issues as a result of that State of Pennsylvania, Sean. What are you guys facing out there these days? Well, I think uh, we're we're seeing a lot of what everyone else is seeing, and that is, I think, the first hundred days of of the Biden administration. I think have been an an unmitigated disaster. You know, I think people are going to see their taxes rising if they haven't already risen already. Our debt and deficit are you know soaring. Our border is flooded. Our energy industry here in Pennsylvania is being crushed and manufacturing along with it. Uh, I think by and large, people feel like the Second Amendment now is under assault. First Amendment is as well. Uh, The Democrats aren't shy about their agenda, whether it's packing the Supreme Court, Washington, D.C. statehood, you name it. It's radical. And I think the people of Pennsylvania, by and large, didn't bargain for this, you know, and so. I hope to bring a level of balanced leadership to Pennsylvania. And so I'm going to work hard to make the case. And I've got a year and a half to do it, but I, I'm optimistic. I really am. How's the energy sector doing? Given, you know, you got this Biden administration that's come in and they weren't honest about the degree of hostility they would have, you know, to to fossil fuels, especially given they wanted to win in Pennsylvania. And unfortunately, this Biden administration, however one thinks the election was conducted, did get a W here. Uh, what yeah. has that meant for people in PA? Well, uh, the energy industry is a major pillar of, of our economy here. Not just jobs that are directly associated with oil, gas, and fracking, but the downstream impact, right? Of uh, you know, trucking, restaurant businesses, teaching, whatever. Uh, we're all boosted by the oil and gas industry here. I look. I kind of look at this in, in a couple of different tranches. Um, People are spending more at the pump here in Pennsylvania. I think we've seen like almost a 50% increase in the cost of gas. So it costs more to fill up your car, costs more to heat your home. Everything from gas to groceries, people are paying more. Uh, Inflation is not just at our doorstep, but it's already here. I think that's a consequence of just printing money with with impunity, right? Which which is what Joe Biden has done the first few 100 days of his presidency. So – uh, when that happens, when you see inflation like this, the purchasing power of the dollar is, is obviously less powerful 
it's basically like a passive tax on everybody that disproportionately affects the middle and, and lower income Americans. And so people, people here, you know, I think they're hurting, you know, and, and I think you know, I hate these sort of cliche terms, but Biden's war on the fossil fuel industry is the reason why people are hurting here uh, in Pennsylvania. So, you know, for me, uh, obviously, there's an economic impact that it has. I talked about inflation, but there's also a significant national security uh, impact as well. And that, you know, a ban on fracking in a war on the energy industry empowers our foes like China and especially Russia, who's a who's an exporter of natural gas. It bolsters their ability to export natural gas all around the world when the United States has sort of abdicated their role as a net energy exporter. So um, Pennsylvania is is on the front lines of, of, of this fight and in, in terms of our energy independence. And for me, you know, as as a, a candidate's running for Senate here in Pennsylvania, is protecting the energy industry is something of vast import to me, right? Protecting the pe- people's jobs that are that are in that industry, uh, but also doing everything I can to keep costs low for people, right? Because ener- energy permeates everything that we do. So, protecting that industry is important, and so that that's that's part of the that's part of my campaign. Speaking of Sean Parnell, newly announced Senate candidate for Pennsylvania. And a former Army Ranger with a sub- a substantial combat experience in Afghanistan. If you haven't checked out his book, Outlaw Platoon, highly recommend you do. He also writes thrillers if you're into uh, espionage <laughs> and and action thrillers along the uh, the born identity. But the, your your guy's better. Tell, who's who's your who's your guy? He would kick Jason Bourne's butt. Eric Steele. Yes. Eric I, Steele. I, I put your money on Eric Steele. Yeah, Eric Steele would win in a fight against Jason Bourne. You can check out. <laughs> Uh, Sean's Sean's books there too. Sean, I, I speaking about national security on on a serious note. Uh, what do you find is the the primary thing that would that that concerns you now, and obviously would have to be a concern. Uh, you know, assuming you win this Senate seat, which you know I'm assuming you are going to win it, but uh, assuming that that happens, the biggest thing that worries you from a national pr- uh, security perspective that the United the United States faces right now is what China. Period. Uh, China, I think, is the greatest geopolitical threat, military threat that this nation has ever faced. I'd be, you know, I think you could make a case for Germany or, or, or Japan in, in World War II, but no, I, I think China's economy right now is set is on pace to uh, is on pace to be bigger than ours in a decade. Their their army is bigger than ours. Their navy is bigger than ours. Um, their number one goal is to depose the United States of America as the world's number one superpower. Uh, and China is a country that has concentration camps, commits one unbelievable civil rights abuse after the next. I mean, they're basically committing genocide against the Uyghurs in that country. Um, and, and what sort of scares me the most is the left, the radical left's willingness to work with them and not challenge them. So, you know, being a hedge against China and doing everything we can to outpace them both economically and militarily is, is I think, very, very important. Um, we have to do it. Um, so, you know, I, I think by and large the United States of America is a is a benevolent superpower. I think that we do a lot of good in the world. And, and you look around like, you know, when there's a humanitarian crisis – citizens of the world call on America for help. They don't call on China. They don't call on Russia. They don't call on Iran. They call on us, 
and we show up. China will not be like that. And so we have to do everything we can, you know, just not just for our country, but for the world, a stabilizing presence in the world. Uh, we have to do everything we can to outpace China and beat them on at every possible term. We're speaking, and, of, we're speaking of Sean yeah. Parnell. He's a Senate candidate, as we said, announced uh, just announced in the last 24 hours and announced here on this show for the first time for Pennsylvania. He's a former Army Ranger and uh, outlaw platoon, not just because he's my friend, is one of my favorite memoirs of, of war that, that I've written, uh, uh, that I've read, rather, um, and I've read many of them. Uh, Sean, I, I have to ask about Afghanistan, because that's a place where you saw really heavy combat, and I know that you still think about the men and women in the military regularly and are in contact with folks who are still uh, serving. The Biden administration, it seems, is on pace to continue with the Trump policy of a withdrawal from Afghanistan. How do you think about that? But also, what should we be aware of, you know, in terms of where you think this is going when it comes to the Taliban, and the possibility that this could result in a real deterioration? How do you view all that? Yeah, well, a, a couple things. I, I first of all, I think it's time, right? That, that now, having said that, uh, I recognize fully the humanitarian considerations that come with pulling out of Afghanistan, right? You know, there are there are people in that country that for the last 20 years merged from the shadows, helped Americans, women went to school. Uh, they trusted the American promise that, hey, we're going to we want you to be successful. We want you to learn to read. We want women to be able to get jobs like we're going to we're going to build your district center and drill wells and do everything we can to set you up for success and fund your government and, and train your military and police. I, I So I fully recognize that those Afghans will be under tremendous pressure, especially those who helped us when we leave. But that said, you know, we also have an obligation to, you know, moms and dads in Pennsylvania and Kentucky or anywhere else, you know, all the folks who raise their right hand, volunteer to serve this country, go over, they fight, bleed and die on foreign soil. We have an obligation to American families as well. And I think one of the problems that you that you see in Afghanistan right now and probably over the last uh, 10 years is that if you went to a different outlying base, you just hopped on a helicopter, flew on a ring route, and you asked an American private, a different foreign operating base, what the mission was, you'd get a different answer from all of them. And that's probably problematic. I think we've lost focus on why we went to Afghanistan in the first place. And I think anytime the mission isn't clear, you put lives at risk. And so it's time for a a drawdown in Afghanistan and an exit strategy. Um, you know, ultimately, I mean, again, I understand the risks, uh, but it's time for the Afghans to stand on their own. Sean Parnell, everybody, candidate for Senate in Pennsylvania. Sean, where should folks go if they want to get involved, help out? Oh, please go to ParnellForSenate.com. Uh, we need your help. This is going to be a, a crazy expensive race. And the Democrats, by the way, they're already running ads. Chuck Schumer's already running ads before I before I was even a, before I was even a candidate against me. So we need all the help that we can get. Uh, so go to ParnellForSenate.com and, and help us out if you can. Sean Parnell, everybody. Sean, good luck. We'll be talking to you a lot more going forward. Thanks, Buck. What is gain of function research? Well, in layman's terms, it's experimenting with things like viruses to see if you can change some of their attributes. Now, this can make them very useful, say, in attacking cancer cells, or it can make a virus much more lethal, much more easily transmissible. 
So clearly there are major reasons to be watching this very closely and to be concerned about its possible applications, especially at a time when we know that a global pandemic is more than possible. It has already happened. Dr. Fauci got a good grilling on Capitol Hill from Rand Paul on just what really has gone on with gain of function research and whether the U.S. government had any part of the gain of function research going on at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I want you to listen to what Dr. Paul had to say. Animal viruses to infect humans. To arrive at the truth, the U.S. government should admit that the Wuhan Virology Institute was experimenting to enhance the coronavirus's ability to infect humans. Juicing up super viruses is not new. Scientists in the U.S. have long known how to mutate animal viruses to infect humans. For years, Dr. Ralph Barrick, a virologist in the U.S., has been collaborating with Dr. Shi Zengli of the Wuhan Virology Institute, sharing his discoveries about how to create super viruses. This gain-of-function research has been funded by the NIH. The collaboration between the U.S. and the Wuhan Virology Institute continues. Doctors Barrick and Shi worked together to insert bat virus spike protein into the backbone of the deadly SARS virus, and then use this man-made supervirus to infect human airway cells. Think about that for a moment. The SARS virus had a 15% mortality. We're fighting a pandemic that has about a 1% mortality. Can you imagine if a SARS virus that's been juiced up and had viral proteins added to it, to the spike protein, if that were released accidentally? Dr. Fauci, do you still support funding of the NIH funding of the lab in Wuhan? I got to tell you, before we let the Fauci answer this, I'm so thankful that Dr. Rand Paul is willing to actually grill the Fauci, who is just constantly praised. And, you know, this little Stalinist smurf Fauci, who's done so much damage, is just held up and protected by the media and the Democrats. But you know how he's going to answer Rand Paul grilling him. Senator Paul, with all due respect, you are entirely and completely incorrect that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute Do they fund Dr. Barrick? We do not fund... Do you fund Dr. Barrick's gain-of-function research? Dr. Barrett does not doing gain-of-function research, and if it is... It's according to the guidelines, and it is being conducted in North Carolina. Not you don't think inserting in a bat virus spike protein that he got from the Wuhan Institute into the SARS virus is gain of function? That you is would not be in the minority because at least 200 scientists have signed a statement from the Cambridge Working yeah. Group saying that it is gain of function. Well, it is not. And if you look at the grant and you look at the uh, progress reports, it is not gain of function, despite. Uh, Fauci's even more prickly than normal here. Angry little lab coat tyrant Smurf feels like maybe he's uh, getting caught up in something. We're going to watch this one closely, but God bless. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Mr. Mark, you ever been to a Roaring Twenties party, you know, where people wear the zoot suits and the wallet chains and 
spats, which are the like the white coverings on your shoes to keep the dirt from getting all over them. You ever do that? I, I went to a 2020 New Year's party. I don't think that counts, though. No, that's about 100 years off. Yeah. but Remember when we were celebrating 2020 beginning? <laughs> yes. Yes, I know. I told everybody, you remember, I told everybody we were down in Tribeca in our office there in Manhattan in our studio. I said, you know, late 2019, I told everybody, it's, these, are the, these are the best times you're going to remember for a long time. Enjoy it. Have a, you know, go out with the fam. Spend time with people you, you like being around because it's as good as it gets. I really think 2019 in many ways was as good as it gets. <laughs> I think 2019 was like the high point of certainly the last decade so things were good so basically things everyone needs to blame you for this what do you mean blame me i warned everybody i told them what was coming that's yeah a, exactly that's a, you predicted it so it's your fault yeah i predicted it's not if i if i say the stock market's gonna crash and i'm right it's not my fault i beg to differ i just like to blame you for stuff, look at though. the look at look at you know grumple stiltskin over here being all difficult wow. but, grumple stiltskin that's a new one yeah i don't like well, it you know, actually yeah, yeah, that fits you. You know, the old character Rumpelstiltskin. I don't know if you know the uh, Grimm's fairy tale stuff. I think it's yes. a Grimm's fairy tale. I mean, I it's know, a actually. children's character now. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that probably the guy? I don't know. He, 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 like you, though, was also salty and difficult. This is important for people to remember. Um, but yeah, he's a, yeah, it's a German fairy tale, Brothers Grimm, 1812 edition of Children's and Households uh, Tales. So, yeah. That's you, buddy. Grumple Stiltskin. So uh, what? how's the house thing coming along? Ever? I feel like we're all invested. This whole audience yeah. is like, producer Mark gets a house. Producer, well, apartment, but same idea. I mean, we're all cheering for it here. I, I appreciate that. It, it's the same. You know, and this is a very slow moving process, as you have come to find out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. Oh, gosh. It's, it's you know, amazing how things could be so instantaneous, given the technology that we have. And yet still... Banks like to move very, very slowly. They're kind of like the trees in the Lord of the Rings. We take our time, you know? Right now, it's literally just waiting for someone to notify the sellers that the board has approved us, which literally would take five seconds in an email or a phone call. Like, I don't understand what the problem is. One thing I've had to learn in life, of the many life lessons that I try to share on this show, and usually it's things that I've learned from having to suffer the consequences, is that just because something is important to you doesn't mean it's important to anybody else. That's, that's very true. <laughs> Nobody else cares, right? I mean, you're sitting there, you're like, but I, but I need a place to live and my yeah. wife and, you know, and, and they're just kind of like, yes, the board will meet when the board meets, yeah. you know? That's the I, way I haven't even booked a mover yet. And for me, I'm a type of person who likes everything planned out, especially something like a move. Like, I want it, all the logistics figured out as soon as possible, so it's driving me nuts. Yeah, since I'm almost 40, I feel like I'm I'm old enough now where I can say I don't want to throw my back out. Otherwise, I'd be right there with you, buddy, carrying all those boxes. But I will send you positive moving vibes. Oh, I'm not carrying sure. any boxes, Buck. I'm hiring people to do that. I'm I'm too old for this. I can't carry stuff anymore. He's not even 30, folks. He's too old for this. Yeah. But there we go. Yeah, look, I have the body of a 65 year old. I, I will tell you this: when you when you care when you think you're you're going to just carry things. And then you feel that low back pain start to set in. You're like, I wish I had paid people. Yeah. Because they're better at this. They they bend from the knees. They wear those. Uh, what is it? Uh, like a weight. It's like a weight belt around the belly, but it's different, I guess, for movers. But, you know, a back. It's a back brace, I yes. think, of some kind. Right. Yeah. They're the professionals. I'm going to let them do it. 
Yeah, it's the, it's the way to do it. Or you know, or you could just be like me, be a vagabond who barely owns any stuff because he's a single guy. Uh, I mean, not single now, but in the past, I've been single and moving around. So just wait. The, the more Snow Princess moves in, the more stuff you're gonna have. I know. So. She she's. It's funny too. Her her apartment is just always smells better and is more organized and it's like magic you know my my apartment is functional you know it's like comfortable couch big tv desk for for work like that's pretty much that's and then books that's my apartment her apartment has art and aesthetics and like the the you know blanket is draped so that it looks nice on the edge of the couch. you know what i mean it's just a different Hers, you walk in, it's like a Laura Ashley catalog or something. Mine, you walk into, you're like, this is a um, a nice, you know, executive long stay home situation. Yeah. This is a good Airbnb. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. My apartment looks like an Airbnb, but that someone just dumped old dusty uh, history books on the floor and stuffed them in bookshelves. And that's the thing. I, I actually have I don't even have enough bookshelves anymore. So I have them stacked up in the in the windowsill in places because I actually have a window that looks onto a it's kind of it's kind of weird it, it, it looks into an outer structure of the building so there's no real light or anything that comes in so I've just used that as a window as a uh, bookshelf now too so you're not even is, one of those fancy Airbnbs where they have art and stuff no yeah. if we did that show Buck Sexton if we did like Freedom Hut Cribs you remember that show from back in the day of course I'd walk around taking video of my apartment and be like yeah that's right here's the couch and TV and some frozen gluten-free mac and cheese and a lot of books. And everyone would be like, ooh, that would be it. It would be a 20-second episode of Cribs. Exactly no, what I expected. No pool, no, uh, no indoor movie theater with uh, first-class plane seats, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I always tell myself, though, those, you know what, Producer Mark, we get the last laugh because all these people, all these celebrities, baseball players, uh, country music stars, rappers, you know, with their with their multi-million dollar palatial spreads. That's a lot of cleaning and a lot of walking around, I say. so. Well, they just have people that do it for them. Yeah, but they have to, unless they go, you know, ha- have somebody that carries them around in like a litter or something, they have to walk around their very golf big cart place. or a Segway or something. I, I do remember I saw a, it wasn't a Cribs, it was one of those real estate selling shows and it was about... Um, uh, who's the gentleman of the in the in the in the club, Mr. 50 Cent, Mif, Mr. Mr. Half Dollar. He uh, he his house in Connecticut that he was trying to sell. Everyone kept saying the same thing. It's just too big. Like it, there were two. There was two. You felt like you're in some kind of a, a giant factory or something. It just was too many bedrooms. I think it was like, you know, 12,000 square feet or something or 14,000 square some crazy number. And so that's what I say here in New York City, producer Mark, we like to keep it at a nice, cozy three hundred and fifty to four hundred and fifty square feet, baby. It's all we need. And that's it. You're literally in a closet, your whole apartment. That's yeah. No. That that's, it's so it's efficiency is what they call studios sometimes or they used to. And I will tell you when you can shower and cook dinner and be on your couch at the same time, it is very efficient. Let's get into the roll call today, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, teambuck at iheartmedia.com. If you want to email us, just send an email there. I'm also on the gram, on the Instagram, that is, and you can send us a direct message there. Um, so, yeah, 
just you know, just keep it clean because producer Mark reads them first, and I, I don't want his his young impressionable eyes reading anything that's got any potty language in it or anything like that. So, at this point, I just cycle through the mean ones. Yeah, just exactly, just cycle through the mean ones. All right, Thomas is first up here. Buck, I've always enjoyed watching your appearances on Fox. It was about a year ago that a good friend mentioned that he was listening to you and probably mentioned you mocking the tyrannical Smurf Fauci. Anyways, I had just started listening to podcasts and look you up, and now your podcast has been a big part of my afternoons, something to look forward to while working. I'm hoping you would consider dedicating one of your shows to the following science. We all know masks don't work and will most likely cause some people mental issues going forward. Would be great to have a better understanding of immunity from either having COVID or via vaccine, how long you have immunity and how effective against the variants it may be. And if you have recovered from COVID, do you really need to get vaccinated and talk about the science of herd immunity? Seems like Fauci's all over the place and goalposts always seem to change. Great show. Love your Fauci impression and give a nice hockey assist to producer Mark. I have I have slapped the puck to producer Mark, as I always do. And he is now um, doing a wrist shot in the cor- upper corner of the net. Look at that. Dropping all my hockey knowledge. Um, no comment. I'm just speechless. Isn't that right? Isn't that a thing? See? I mean, sure. Those are the very technical terms of sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I will say there's a guy who does all these TikTok. He's like a, a bro hockey player. He makes fun of like uh, bro hockey players from Massachusetts, like college level, you know, from Massachusetts. And, and he uses all of these terms. I have no. First of all, he's from Massachusetts. So let's be honest, folks, people from Massachusetts in some place. If you're from like Worcester, you have your own language. It's True. you do. Yeah. There's like there's a whole other lexicon that is used in Worcester. Um, but uh, he, he uses terms about hockey I've never heard before. I'll have to come in and ask you about some of them. But I'm like, what? Yeah, so, I, I probably know all of them. Yeah, I figured. Um, Thomas, thank you so much for discovering the Buck Sexton show. I'm so glad that we uh, get to keep you entertained and keep you company in the afternoons. Really does mean a lot to us. And please, since you've had this experience, do spread the word, pass the buck, tell some friends about it. That's how we keep we keep growing every month. This show grows every month. Uh, our marketing budget is zero. Uh, the, the amount of money that I spend on Facebook to advertise this show is zero. My donors from, you know, Palm Beach, zero like this is this is a show that just the work stands for itself and people listen and they tell other people to listen. And that's why we grow every single month, every month. So but it's all on you. So thank you so much. And thank you for liking the Fouch. He doesn't like you. He wants to double mask your face for the rest of your life. But you know how it goes. All right. Roll call continuing. More thoughts from Team Buck all over the country. Alex, seems like all the northern people I talk to comment how nice it is to be down south and able to do things. Do they not realize they're just as much to blame for their state's politics? Well, Alex, while I can appreciate that you want to take some victory laps for being smart enough to live down south and and enjoy some freedom and and, uh, normalcy, you got to remember that there are a lot of people who live in places where it's either almost red uh, or they live in blue states and they vote red, but they're outnumbered. You know, so I mean, do you really do you want all the Republicans to leave, say, Pennsylvania? That would be bad because <laughs> we can actually win Pennsylvania. So, do you, you know, do you want Republicans to all leave Ohio? 
No, we want I mean, obviously, we won that one last election, but it's very important that we keep these states red. And, and Ohio, unfortunately, is not it's not red the way that Texas is. I mean, it's version of Republican politics. You look at the governor there. and Very, very different. Um, so there you go. I, I just uh, I, I hear what you said, Alex, but there are people who live in blue states who are voting Republican and they're now thinking about moving, but they're not as responsible. I don't think they're just as much to blame for their state's politics. They're just getting outvoted. That's not the same thing. Andrew, sorry, Alex, to, it just struck a nerve there as somebody stuck in New York. I'm like, why are all the libs so crazy here? Andrew, hey, Buck, active duty Marine here stationed overseas. I guess I've got some good news. Uh, somehow the incredibly inept bureaucracy of our military has stumbled onto a fantastic COVID vaccine incentive, loosened liberty restrictions. Before this weekend, even the vaccinated personnel on base have been treated as if the vaccine doesn't work. No indoor dining, no off-base barbershops, not much off-base activity allowed at all. But this weekend, command reinstated all off-base activities for vaccinated people. And guess what happened? There was a huge increase in vaccinations. A ton of younger Marines who had held off suddenly rushed over to get the jab at the hospital. By golly, it's almost as if playing down the efficacy of vaccines has played a part in vaccine hesitancy. Who would have thought? The next obvious step would be to remove the mask mandate for vaccinated personnel. I swear, Buck, you would not believe how many Marines I see on base outside alone wearing masks. It's maddening. I feel terrible for them. So many of the higher ups are sticklers for mask wearing, even among entirely vaccinated people. I've taken to saying, ditch the mask, brother, to these Marines I pass by. It rarely works, unfortunately. Alas, I try. Andrew, first of all, uh, thank you for your service. Thank you for writing in. And really interesting anecdote here. Really interesting uh, insight from what's going on with the military overseas. And yes, this is what I've been saying all along. Look, I know a lot of you have been telling me, Buck, don't get vaccinated. You're already immune. Like I've been getting your messages I, the only reason that I want to get vaccinated is to get rights and freedom back. And I know that that at some level is a concession that they can take it away from the first place. But I, I just I just want to be able to live my life again. And and I, I, there's a part of me that's like uh, that wants to say, tell the state to go stuff it. But I live in New York. It's crazy blue. There are Democrats everywhere. They run this place. It's eight to one Democrat to Republican in New York City. So what's the point in me being a holdout alone here? Um, yes, the, the, the most important thing here is that if you had masks uh, gone and all rights restored for the vaccinated, there would be some people who say they're vaccinated who aren't. But the far more important, more impactful uh, outcome would be people would you'd have so many people who are vaccine hesitant to say I'd be there. Look, if you told me, Buck, get the get the, you know, Moderna shot tomorrow and you can start working out in public gyms here or, you know, in, in the gym without a mask on, I'd be there tomorrow morning. First thing, getting the shot. Mark. I'm so sick of running around on the treadmill and throwing weights around and stuff with a mask on like a moron. Andrew. Hello, gentlemen. Buck, while I appreciate you loving soccer, I must say. How can a red-blooded American growing up in New York City not know about baseball, football, etc.? I would love for you and Glenn Beck to get together on the air and have a sports trivia hour. This would be the greatest comedy special ever. With that said, I love your views on things. Keep it up, and God bless. Shields high. Thank you, Andrew. I, I know. I played sports. 
I actually just had this conversation with a with a, with another friend recently. I've played sports. I like sports. I just don't watch professional sports. I don't really have the time. Uh, I don't really have the time to watch any professional sports. They last. And producer Mark, how long does a baseball game last? 14 hours, 15 hours? It's uh, quite an endeavor. Like three. Feels like 15 to me. No, it's not. So I'm just saying, I don't have all that time. uh, So that's why I don't really follow professional sports. But yes, who would win in a sports trivia contest? Glenn Beck or me? Oh, man. I don't know. (laughs) That would actually be funny because Glenn and I... It would it, we would both embarrass the sports fans out there with our love of like, you know, the greatest living uh, baseball player, Babe Ruth. I mean, we, we would have no idea what's going on. That's the show for today, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Shields high.